Welcome to Leash Connects Podcasts, where we explore a wide range of lifestyle topics with the dedicated people who are there to support you and your community in the wonderful county of Leash. So my guests today are Jader Dowling with the HSE. Jader works as a Triple P practitioner, delivering parenting programs to parents of children who are between 2 and 10 and also between 11 and 15. In 2018, Triple P launched a program called Fearless, which is also for parents of children who are dealing with issues in relation to anxiety. Triple P is an evidence-based program originally from Australia and has over 40 years of experience. And also we have Joe Thompson. Joe is a youth officer for Leash and Offaly Education and Training Board. Joe works with various statutory and voluntary organisations and community groups, helping them deliver strategies, policies and programmes which meet the needs of young people in the Leash and Offaly area. Joe has extensive experience working with youth organisations, developing initiatives which promote youth mental health and well-being. Joe is also a qualified teacher and a qualified counsellor, psychotherapist and private practice. Guys, you're both very welcome. So today's podcast, we're going to talk about anxiety with young people and we're going to maybe look at how some of the skills that are taught on the Fearless programme did or how that can help parents, even teachers or youth workers or help young people who are experiencing anxiety. And maybe also we'll explore maybe youth mental health in general and maybe reflect on what we can do to help young people more. So that's the sort of areas that I'd like maybe to talk around. So maybe for you, Joe, if we could maybe start off in your experience, given just given your vast experience working with young people and especially in the context in which you work with young people, how common is anxiety among our young people nowadays? Anxiety is quite common. Statistically, they say about 25% of all young people suffer from some level of anxiety. Again, there's different types of anxiety and anxiety is a kind of natural normal response to fear or uncertainty and with young people there's a lot of uncertainty as they grow and develop and the types of anxiety when I talk about normal anxiety then there's what they call a moderate to mild anxiety or acute anxiety where that becomes impedes the person to function or maybe they become more avoidant or more isolated so they're not able to do the normal things they normally do meet friends go places you know they avoid things like maybe going to school when they're in acute anxiety. So, as I say, it's a very natural process. It's it's there to protect us from danger and uncertainty. And it's when it becomes, I suppose, severe or out of control and it impacts upon young people's lives, then it becomes a real issue. And it becomes um, a real challenge for, for young people and for parents and guardians who support those young people. What type of age then does it become a problem for young people in your experience? I primarily work with young people between 10 and 25, but um, I've kids of my own, four children, and I see anxiety in my children. And you might see one child more anxious than the other. So I, I don't think there's an age, but the onset of issues around anxiety, they say typically is around 15 years of age is the kind of mean age. So it can be much earlier. But anxiety, as I say, it, it is that it becomes more more apparent, I suppose, or more more realised by young people in their teen years to early years or early adult years. What about yourself, Deidre, then? Like in your experience with parents coming to your programmes, how much of an issue is this for parents 
Just to concur with what Joel has said, initially when we launched this programme, it was targeted towards the teenager, well, the parents of teenagers. We work with the parents. But now what we have found, and we've had to reduce the age profile, so we're actually offering it from to parents for children of between four and 14 years of age. Because we have children now suffering with levels of anxiety, even at that age, that they won't go to school. So school refusal, even at a very young age, is quite the norm at the moment. Very much fearless, we we give parents the strategies to be able to deal with those situations because we need our children to be able to deal with and to build up a resilience to what they're going to face in life. And that's not going to start when they're 20 years of age. It's going to start, you know, when they're younger to give them those skills. So we have found very much that we, the earlier that we can get in, and these are strategies that, Every parent can use anyway, you know, it's across the board, but we are dealing with parents of the children within that age group to help them because we can solve it for the child. We can help them to give them the tools in the toolbox to be able to use it. So emotional resilience is huge as one of the things, because I think particularly now and you know, we call we talk about the causes of anxiety. We absolutely know that, you know, genetically you might be predisposed to anxiety. And as Joe said, you know, you could have four children. I have two children. They're polar opposites. One child might be more anxious than the other. Or even here in the room, the three of us, one might be more anxious than the other. And that's normal. But it's when it, you become incapacitated with anxiety and you can't deal with it then it's hugely problematic. And it's not just problematic for the child in question, it's problematic for the whole family. Sometimes a child who has anxiety will say, I don't want anybody to know about it. But the reality is it affects the whole family dynamics and spills over into school and into society and everywhere. So it has to be dealt with. Yeah. You know. Just when you say it's like kids as young as four refusing to go to school, if you take, say, a kid under 10 years old and they're refusing to go to school, is that understood as anxiety or is it possible that a parent can maybe understand that it's just being it's bold behaviour? Yeah, and that's very much when we are talking about anxiety. I think a lot of parents, not a lot of parents, but for some parents, you know, behaviour that is out of sync at what you're expecting, whether it's in the school environment or whether it's in the home environment. If it's out of sync, a parent might say, well, they're just being bold or they're throwing their weight around and they're being destructive, whatever it may be. We have to recognise if we can outrule that and say it's not a behavioural issue, then it could very well be an anxiety issue. So I think that's important for parents to realise because There's nobody knows your child better than you yourself as a parent. And I've said that before, even when we're talking about parenting, we know our children best. So we need to look and see what behaviours are going on. And if it's just something that they've got into a habit of doing and you can change that behaviour, that's fine. But if you look at it and you say it's coming from an area that this is anxiety driven, then you have to deal with the anxiety. I'm just trying to think, Joe, of teenagers, like a 14 and 15 year old teenager refusing to go to school. I could imagine that would be that would be very easily considered just rebellious behaviour, as opposed to. And I just want to pick up on another point you made about 
children, I, I think we have to look at our own behavior as parents as well, because if we're an anxious parent, I mean, these are learned behaviors. There's a natural predisposition for children to be excited and interested, but also to be fearful as they begin to discover the world. And I love that commercial with the little boy and the grandfather and there's a monster under the bed and he mm. puts down the tablet and, you know, he says, where is he? You know, and that's just the way kids grow up. You know, I even hear my son talking about, do you know that a meteor hit the earth and there's another one going to hit the earth? And they're seeing this through YouTube clips and talking to other kids. So there is a thing about as they begin to go out into their environment and begin to discover their environment, that there are certain fears and risks about that, trying new things. But particularly going back to your point about teenagers, it is where young people begin to, I suppose, have a sort of realisation of self, their own self-image how they their relationships, how they're accepted, a sense of belonging and concerns about, am I accepted? Do I belong to a group? And these kind of irrational thoughts too around when they see groups together, making assumptions that they're really good buddies in their communities. And that may not be the case. So we kind of project all this stuff on and we sort of feed our fear of being rejected and how hurtful that would be. And when we talk about, say, sense of relationship with the parent and that sense of anxiousness or the anxious parent or dismissal and you know young people have, would say to me sometimes parents don't listen to me uh, I was talking to them coming out this morning something was really bothering me and they just weren't listening to me they were busy doing whatever they were doing so they felt dismissed and sometimes I think it's really important as a parent or an adult to listen to the young person without judgment and just accept what they're saying now you don't have to agree with what they're saying, but it's really important to listen so that they can try to unravel this and offload this in some way. Teenage years are tough years in a sense of everything's changed, you know, puberty, sense of wanting to belong, relationships, adventuring out into the world and trying new things. So no more than for ourselves, you know, coming over here creates some level of anxiety for me, dropping the kids, will I be here on time? One of the kids wasn't so well last night. I said, I'll read over some notes. I'll have them ready. I'll have all the right answers. And all of a sudden, I didn't get a chance to do that. So here I am. And you're presented with this. If I knew this podcast wasn't going out there to anybody, but it's just a conversation with us, I'd be more, a bit more relaxed. But the fact it's going out there and somebody's going to say, oh, he said this or they said that, I feel that I could be judged. And when I feel judged, I feel anxious. So I have to learn, I suppose, to to be more accepting of myself and accepting of the situation and to not avoid things, just get in. But I think that comes with age. And that's the good thing about podcasts. You can't see how old we are here. But, (laughs) (laughs) you know, a few years behind me and a bit of experience and a little bit of wisdom. And I think as we get older, in some ways, we become less anxious as we grow, I suppose, into relationships. uh, And as we get older, we have mortgages, we have to hold down a job, we kind of have to feel we need to do the right thing. If we lost our job, we'd lose our livelihood. And I suppose men and women relate to anxiety differently than that's because of social norms as well. And same with girls. I think the research shows that girls suffer more from anxiety than boys. Can I ask, you just mentioned kids saying that they don't feel listened. How can we as parents listen better to your children? Because just when you mentioned the kid talked to their parents in the morning time, I certainly mm-hmm. know my house in the morning time. <laughs> There's nobody listens to anyone. I know. <laughs> no, we've got a goal to achieve and us get out the door at a certain time. Do you know, I'm conscious of the pace in which we move in the morning times. So how can I become a better dad? 
you know, how can I become a better listener as, as a father? I think parenting, first of all, is probably the biggest unpaid job that we're ever going to do. And yet it's the most rewarding job that we're ever going to do. So I think Sometimes we're inclined to think, oh, I have to get to work because I have to do the most important job that I'm doing. But if we think about it, and sometimes it might mean you might have to get up a half an hour earlier. You know, I remember doing a group with a group of parents and they were saying, oh, you know, in the morning they're telling the child, sit at the breakfast table, do this, eat that, get going, brush your teeth. We've got to get going. And he's running around the kitchen doing X, Y or Z. And I said, well, how about if you were to actually sit at the table with your child? For how long is it going to take you to eat a bowl of cereal? Probably. Mm. And it brings you back down to the level of calmness to where you need to be rather than because sometimes we have an itinerary in our head and we say, I have to do this, this and this and I need to get going. And we expect our children to be on the same wavelength. They're learning from us. They're looking at us and they're saying they're running around like a hamster on a wheel and going nowhere and getting agitated. So they're not seeing. We're not modeling what we want them to do. Yeah. We don't expect that to happen all the time. You know, life's not perfect. It's not going to be like that. There's going to be days like Joe talked about this morning, you know, will I be here on time? Things didn't go the way I wanted to. That's the way everyone's life is. And we have to accept that. I do often say that serenity fair, accept the things that we can change, you know, the courage to change the things we can. And when we talk about anxiety, we talk about that energy and courage that we need to be able to help our children to do. So the earlier that we can get in there and help them to have that emotional resilience, it's absolutely, it's life changing for them because we cannot, it's harder to give it to them the older it is. So the earlier that we get in there with teaching children to accept these uncomfortable feelings. Sometimes we look at our children, we say, oh my God, isn't it great? They're so happy out there. Do we ever get our children to actually feel that moment and embrace it? Because it's going to pass. No different than, you know, if they're disappointed about not being asked to go to a party. No different if they're not picked for the football team. Different things that our children, there's going to be anger, frustration, hurt, disappointment, all those things. They're all valid emotions. But children have to be able to feel them know how the rate with that, because, you know, for a lot, going back to when we're talking about the anxiety, if a child is getting so anxious and frustrated and lashes out, throws something or gets angry with parents and doesn't know how to deal with that emotion, then it just becomes a bigger thing to have to deal with. So we have to and there's nobody that can do that except the child themselves. So we have to get them to learn to feel that horrible feeling in the pit of their stomach because they weren't picked for the football team. And it's okay. It will pass and we will move on. And that's what gives us resilience. We've all, as you say, if we could see we're all that bit older, have a bit of life experience. We've experienced disappointment. It helped us to give us the strength to say, well, you know, that didn't work out, but I'll try again at something else. And that's what we want. It's not about a child achieving all the time what they set out to do. Or having a list of I'm perfect at doing all this because especially children with anxiety, 100% is not enough for them. They want the 110%. So it's not the parent even putting pressure on them. It's the child themselves putting pressure that it's never good enough no matter what I achieve. So it's really important for our children to learn that whatever I do, if that's the best I can do, that's fine. If 50% is what I get in whatever exam I do, That is perfectly fine. That's my target and what I'm capable for. 
similarly, if they're able to achieve more and you have a child that just doesn't want to try, that's a different story. But for a child who's anxious, they're never going to be happy with what they're achieving. Can I ask then, what are the sort of skills that then you teach then on the Fearless programme, Deirdre? Well, what we've talked about there, first of all, we need to understand what anxiety is. As Joe said, to be able to work through something, you have to understand what it is. So anxiety, we all have anxiety, but anxiety for when it comes to a level that you're talking about a child can't go to school, we really need to get into the nuts and bolts of it. So what is it that is helping to keep that anxiety going? And for a lot of parents, sometimes to avoid the situation is their answer to it. Not intentionally. We do it because we say, oh, my God, I don't want to see my child upset. So I let them take the day off school and we stay at home. We do X, Y and Z. Or if your child's not invited to a party, then don't worry about that. I'm going to bring you to Supermax and we'll go somewhere else and you'll have an even better time than going to the party. Mm. So we're actually giving them, we're satisfying their need at that time, but we're not teaching them that it's all right. You weren't invited to the party. That's okay. You just entertain yourself doing something else. So once we understand what is causing the anxiety and if we're using avoidance as a means to deal with the anxiety, what we find and we talk about it in relation to and I think it gives us a good idea if you think of an octopus If a child has an anxiety in one area and they don't want to go to school, let's say, um, and a parent allows them to stay home from school, the anxiety then it's going to be that tentacle is in school. But you can be guaranteed that there's tentacles going to go into all other aspects of their lives. They'll not maybe want to go out and play with their peers. They won't want to go to parties. There'll be all it'll be invasive to all aspects of their life. I'm just because I've I've got two boys. My my boys are, are nine and 11. And I can imagine if one of my boys was refusing to go to school and I suspect it was an emotional reason as opposed to a physical reason. And I had like I had that sort of awareness of that. I would probably suspect that I if like if it was possible that I would allow a day off to give him a bit of time out to and then spend a little of time addressing what the issue is, you know, trying to unpack it and unravel it and then look at ways in which we can build little strategies to deal with it rather than I'm aware that is anxious but no I know know you need to face up to that today I think as a parent I would be supportive of I'm just just giving a break today from that but I think going back to what Deirdre said and and that's a specific program but my experience is that you need to be very careful of avoidance because you're reinforcing the anxiety you're just saying to your to yourself to your brain yeah, this is okay. I found a strategy to resolve this. That's dangerous because now you're only you, you will naturally want to go back to that situation every time to avoid it. Um, so I think and you mentioned as well, trying to understand it. Do you know uh, we work in the area, you know, and you, you, you've, you, it's something that's very apparent in the work and the literature or whatever and the stuff you read and understand and, the you know, as you're presented, you know, with different scenarios like we understand it. A little bit to the best of our ability, but I think we know what anxiety feels like. But do we know what's happening when we feel anxious? Do we know, you know, what causes anxiety? Do we understand the triggers? Are they like micro type things? Is it life? Do we use distractions? You know, are we listening to music, podcasts? You know, having a glass of wine, watching TV on social media, so we don't even give ourselves a chance, and we feel this sort of tension in our lives and. 
this sort of uncertainty and we're wondering why are we not happy? But there is this underlying thing. So I think we need to understand it. I agree with you on that. And then we need to understand what, what, how do we face that fear or how do we support the child to address that? And I think you just have to break that down. And I think that's a really good example of the octopus because it's probably in other areas that these are learned behaviours and probably some of my behaviour as well um, that can create fear. I remember when we had Storm Ophelia and we were in the house, we were in a storm and the kids were there. And next thing the wind came and it blew and it blew up the roof tiles and they smashed and came down. And I could hear this clatter and I said, is the roof gone off the house or part of it gone? Will the rain come in? And I had to uh, get Jennifer to bring them into the next house to our neighbours because I was concerned. Like, it was really bad. I could feel the house shaking. But I noticed since then, you know, one of my children, any mention of a storm, they're fearful. Mm. But really, from that sort of traumatic situation, almost I reinforced that storms are really dangerous and bad. And uh, now I had to work on to sort of desensitize them to the storms, because we have storms now. And so it, it really is about exposing them to walking them through it, really listening and understanding of, of in their words, getting down to their level of understanding. What's their fear in school? Is it the teacher? Is it other kids? Is it the work? Um, and, and if you take a stage and, and work on those, uh, as we say, desensitize or deal with the um, irrational thoughts through cognitive behavior type therapy, if you, if you want to work to a therapist, but you don't have to. There's lots of self-help and there's a lot of information on the Internet. Just be careful, I suppose, with the sources uh, through the HSE, through Jigsaw. And I know even, you know, through the My World, which is kind of a reference document, we would do a survey through UCD and Jigsaw. Um, and from the previous, I think it was 2012, the last one was done to the one last year, or was it this year, early this year that the survey came out. And, you know, anxiety has increased, depression's increased, uh, you know, self-esteem is it, it is kind of, um, there's been disimprovements in self-esteem and self-image around people, young people. So what's happening in the world or what's happening across, you know, life that's causing this level of anxiety to increase and levels of depression to increase with young people. And, um, you know, it's a great, it, I actually, I know it's a research document, but it's very well put together. I would highly recommend it for a parent to look at because it looks at all types of behavior in teenagers around, you know, drug use, um, attitudes to sex, relationships and so on. And it can give you a real insight into, you know, the behavior of uh, I suppose young people and teenagers and young adults. Tell, tell me more about the, the skills then, Deirdre, on the fearless program. Like as a parent, if I was going to one of the, the workshops as a parent, like what what am I learning that for me to take home and use with, with my kids? Well, I suppose starting at the beginning, understanding what anxiety is. Mm -hmm. You understand what you're dealing with and then you'll be able to deal with it. Because like, for example, if you have a child that you bring into a birthday party and they get to the door and suddenly, you know, our bodies, everyone's body, when you're stressed, what way or you're anxious, how do you react? You're going to get, you know, sweaty palms, as I'm sure we all had coming in this morning, or you start your palpitations, you know, cognitively. What are you thinking? You could be thinking, you know, I'm going to go in here. Nobody's going to talk to me. My friend, my best friend isn't here. I don't see them or whatever it may be. So it's and behaviorally then how we react. So we've got different levels of what way reacts if your child is there and they suddenly say no I can't do that and they walk away and go home 
they have avoided that situation. So it's reinforcing, as Joe says, how they're going to feel. So if that continues, that's all right if that happens at an odd time. But we're talking about a child that's going to continue in that vein of not wanting. And it, like the anxiety octopus, it goes into other aspects of their life. So it has to be dealt with. So when we talk about that, then we have to talk about teaching our children. It's all right to feel that feeling. So we're talking about emotional resilience. We're talking about not avoiding the situations. We have to teach our children. Yes, you can feel that way, but you can face it. And we're not talking about if a child is afraid of swimming, that we suddenly throw them in the deep end of the pool. We're talking about incrementally, slowly, step by step, working through that process that they're going to feel comfortable. So even if it's going to school, like we would have an awful lot of teenagers that school refusal is the big issue. You know, you could spend a couple of weeks just getting your child to actually get out of bed in the morning and get dressed into the school uniform. You might spend another week just driving them to the school gate. You might spend another week getting them as far as the front door. A following week getting as far as, you know, sometimes parents, we think, OK, I have to solve it and it has to be done right here, right now. That's not the way life works, because we want to teach them to be able to figure this for themselves and to be comfortable or uncomfortable in that situation, but to be able to face it. Because no matter what way we look at it, to be able to problem solve and to be able to cope with situations that don't make us feel comfortable, it's hugely important for the rest of their lives. You're not just talking about the here and now. You're talking about as they grow up and get older. And, you know, I'm older. I Was I thought how to deal with emotions as I was younger? Absolutely not. If that wasn't the, the in thing. But when you look at it now and life experience, that's what taught us. Getting things wrong and going back and facing it and doing it again. So we have to teach our children, you know, how to do that. So, you know, the avoidance is a big thing. So incrementally teaching our children and in when we're doing the fearless triple P, we talk about doing a fear ladder. So it's breaking it down into the smaller parts. So we have to work with your child with it. There's no point in a parent, whether it's a dad or a mom coming and saying, now you need to do this because that's not going to work. You so need you, to work with them. Are you saying like you have that conversation with the child? Absolutely. T tell me how you're feeling. Tell me what you're feeling. Tell me where you're feeling it. Yeah. Are you saying break it down to that level with a child? Break it down into the smaller parts, because at the end of the day, when we're talking about, say, do the fear ladder, a child is not going to do it if they're not agreeable to do it. So if you talk to them and whatever is going to make them feel comfortable, they're going to work at it to that level. So they might say, yeah, well, I'd be quite happy to get up out of the bed and get into my school uniform and maybe sit at the table at home and do some homework for you for the week until I get comfortable in that scenario then I'm going to be able to move ahead in a week's time. Now, what we would say with our program that we do is we give it a week between each step because so whether that's a child not even wanting to sleep in their bed on their own, that it may be that they're in with the parents. So you might put them out onto the bed uh, beside, you know, a little fold up bed beside your bed. And that's step one. Then it's moving away to the door and then it's moving out to the room. But that's a week by week process. What is really important is we say to parents, you don't go backwards because it's like any of us. If we've given up something and we suddenly say, oh, look, I've given up cigarettes or whatever. I just have one. It'll be grand. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, if you go backwards, then you go, it's harder to do it again. You've got to start all over again. So what we would recommend would be a bridging step. 
you know, so that you're still moving a little bit forward, but you're not going backwards. Does that make sense? So this is a very step by step. So that's going to require a lot of patience and tolerance and time from a parent's perspective. Oh, absolutely. It's like anything we talk about, even in the parenting, any of the programs we do. My first thing I say to parents when they're starting something is the energy you will put into something is what you will get out of it. And what I mean by energy is that consistency and determination, because if a child knows you're on board and if they're stuck and they can have that talk with you, I'm stuck here. What can I do? Then you can make that bridging step. You can decide between you, but you're always moving forward. And what that does for the child who has anxiety is allows them their self-esteem to build and their self-confidence. That's what you want is their self-esteem and self-confidence to build. Hugely important because we can't dictate to them what they're going to do. And what Joe was talking about, you know, to be able to listen to your your children Absolutely. And one of the strategies that we would say is worry time. And for parents today that are struggling with children who have anxiety, I would say start using the worry time. And what we mean by worry time is allowing your child between five to 15 minutes, no more than that, a day to talk to you about the worries that they have. For instance, in the morning, you might have a child if you're going about school and they say, oh, my God, I have this, this and this. Absolutely, we acknowledge I hear what you're saying to me. Yes, you're telling me that you haven't got your essay done. Just keep that thought or write it down, put it in a worry jar. We will discuss that this evening. And what all the research has shown is that within the space of two weeks, your child will suddenly say when you ask them, OK, have you written down your worries today? I don't have any. Because they have figured, plus it's allowing their mind not to be overthinking. We need, you know, when thoughts come in, they're thoughts, they're not facts. So for a child who is anxious, every thought that they're thinking, it's a fact, but it's actually not. It's a thought that's going to come in, it'll go out again. So if they're getting, oh my God, I need to sort this situation. That's okay, I hear you. Put that down and we're going to talk about that later on. And by the time they've come back to you later on in the evening and you must, this is where parents, you need to be consistent with what you've promised that you're going to be doing with your child. If you say between five and quarter past five, I'm going to sit now and we're going to chat about what is worrying you today. And they talk, you let them talk, you listen to what they're saying. We don't tell them how they should be feeling. You listen, you give them feedback. Is this what you're telling me? And they might say, no, that's not what I'm telling you at all. That's OK. So we listen to them again. OK, this is, is this what you're telling me? And then slowly but surely. And, you know, we have delivered this to loads of parents at this stage. They will say, oh, my God, within two weeks, they can't believe how children will say, I have no worries today, mommy. It's fine. What what if, say, on a Friday when your kids have got spelling tests? So my boys would have spelling tests on a Friday. And if the child is anxious getting into school because they're, they think, you know, they're only going to get five out of ten or six out of ten because they haven't been practicing. It's not that they're fearful of not getting the, the high achieving result. It's just the fact that they haven't been practicing their spellings. Should a parent reassure the child that it'll be grand, you know, ten out of ten is not that important in the bigger scale of things? Or should we just let them say what they have to say and say we'll park that and talk about that later? Like what what should a parent's response be to something like that? If it's an issue for them on a Friday, every Friday, they're saying, I don't want to go to school today. Why not? Yeah. I'll go to the spelling tests. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't been practicing. Yeah. 
But you see, I suppose there's a difference. I don't know what you think there, Joe, mm. but there's a difference in even that question because that could be a child that, you know, just doesn't bother from Monday to Friday. Then Friday, there's mad panic because, oh, I need to, uh, now uh, it'll be seen. I didn't do anything from Monday uh, to Friday. For a child who is anxious, going back to what I've said already earlier, they want to get 100%. You know, it's, okay. that is always their mantra that, you know, it has to be the best and if not even better, and even when they do achieve the highest that can achieve, there are always going to be another goal. So that's the, the child who has anxiety. A child who doesn't do it and from Monday to Friday is a different story. So it's important to figure that out. And I suppose the strategies that we look at when we're talking about dealing with anxiety is, yeah, do we over reassure? Of course, we're going to reassure our children. We do that all the time. But if we have an anxious child, are we over hugging them and tell them, oh, my God, come here, Joe, I need to hug you and that I will make it OK for you. Yeah. We can't. We can reassure to a certain point and then we have to say, OK, now we need to get on with it and move on here. Joe, should the schools be more involved then with parents and helping children sort of deal I, I, with anxiety? I, and if you don't mind, I want to just pick up on a point there and it was a shift and I think it was a really important shift when we talked about an anxiety. But when you start talk, talking about young people, you said worry. When you ask, like I, my my daughter was saying to me, "What are you doing this morning, Daddy? I have to go across to, to do this podcast." And she says, "What's it about anxiety?" And she says, "What's anxiety?" Wonderful. <laughs> now she's ten. Mm. Now, if I said to her, "It's about worry," she would understand. Mm. Mm. So language is really important. I think you nailed it when you said that. Is to get to their level. You know, as a parent, when you were saying, "Are we creating now an anxiety?" If they got five out of ten or whatever, is that okay? Mm-hmm. You know, some my children have asked me, Daddy, I'm not mad about school. I don't like it. And I said, I'll tell you the truth, I didn't really like it either. <laughs> but I just had to get through it, you know. And, it, you, get, you know, it does. It works out and it's good for you. And the other point, I think, as well, is when you're getting into anxiety disorders and it's really beyond the control of a parenting program because you need to have the skills and understand it. No more than Anthony, if I was to say to you now, what are you anxious about? Is there any particular thing that makes you anxious? Let's work through that. And you'd say, oh, okay. That would be tough. No more than it's tough for a child. So you have to put yourself in their shoes. If I had to do something I was really anxious about and I was asked to work through this, it's not something you'd sort out by Friday. You know, it's a very incremental type of a process. And first of all, is understanding the level of anxiety. And is it an underlying issue for a long time? Or is it something a predisposition to? Is there something else that's driving the anxiety? Is there something in the home? You know, there's homes where there's a lot of deprivation. There's issues around finance and relationships. And there's all these underlying factors. I'm after drifting away from your question, the one you asked me in particular. But I just had to jump in on that just to see that because it was such a, a really important shift. Is around but should the, you know, say for a kid that doesn't want to go to school, should the school be equally involved? Is it fair to even ask the school to be involved at that type of level? It's more than just one person. It's the family, it's the parents, it's the teachers and awareness around it. And my experience of being in schools they really try, you know, to deal with young people that are anxious or dealing with some difficult situations or don't like to go to school. And my experience of where is trying to understand when you get the opportunity to meet that young person is, well, why is it you don't like school? I just don't like it. OK, but do you like the teachers? No, I hate them all. OK, every teacher? Well, not every teacher. There's two of them that I like. And why do you like them? 
And then you begin to sort of go in there and have a look at that and say, it's kind of this catastrophe blanket type of approaches that they sort of build up in their mind and say, I hate school because I hate teachers. And when you start to unfold it, they like some teachers. And when you go deeper, it's probably just a few teachers they don't like. They create a certain level of anxiety. And they might remind them of somebody, with all respect now to teachers, of somebody they know who they've had the experience and make that association. Generally, my experience of schools, they really do try hard to work with through year heads and through deputy principals, through pastoral teams, through guidance and so on to work with young people. And I think, too, what, what my experience is, is to try and hold and keep the young person there. Don't create unrealistic expectations. You're doing your junior cert. What are you good at? I love these subjects. Well, let's focus on them and do well on them. And let's just hang in here and see how we get on, rather than saying, well, you have to get this and you have to get that and ultimatums. You know, it's different from school to school. I've been in primary schools as well. You know, when you're working with adolescents and young adults, they have a sense of maturity and a knowledge of the world as well. You know, where younger children can be supported and led a little bit more, they need to be explained more. You know, a lot of young people have access to a lot of information today and probably some of it misinformation. And we're living in a very anxious world, you know. Um, When I was growing up, I suppose there wasn't as many uncertainties. Austerity. At one point, when you went, you, you get a cert or a diploma, you'd have a job. You wouldn't even have to have. You get a job in the public service with a reasonable leaving cert. You could be a guard, go into nursing, whatever. Now you need a degree, you need an honours degree, you need a master's. And even if you do, you might end up second shelves in Tesco's, which is perfect. Like some people are very happy doing that because there are families around them. They don't have to commute. All these factors are just layering and layering anxiety and social media, what it's, it's trying to sell us. The media, what it's trying to sell us, what we should be like, the kind of homes, the cars, the lifestyle we should have. One of the things that normally when I meet with young people, I try to understand where they're at with regard to lifestyle. Are they sleeping, having reasonable amounts of sleep? Because, you know, as we know, they're bringing some of their tablets and phones into their bedroom. So sleep deprivation or healthy sleep patterns can be quite poor. Food, exercise, time out to do things they love to do. I find that Sometimes the baseline fundamentals have to be there as well. Proper sleep, proper exercise, eating reasonably well. And we know like food is a big issue with young people as well. Maybe if we close, close off or finish up with that question then, what one piece of advice would you give a parent who wanted to maybe help their kid with anxiety? Maybe help them build the resilience a little more? Or is that too naive a question? I think a little bit because I think it's not one solution fits all. Uh Just to say, to move on from what Joe has said, I think it's really important for parents not to underestimate how valuable they are in the whole process of helping their child to deal with their anxiety. Because, you know, you can bring a child who is suffering with anxiety to a counsellor and that's perfectly fine. But you're going to that counsellor for, say, one hour per week or whatever and giving them that little bit of work. As a parent, you're the one that's there all of the time. So if you have the tools to work alongside with your child, you will make the changes with them. I feel very strongly about that. I think parents, they are very resilient. When we talk about what causes anxiety, you know, we talk about the genetic pool. We talk about traumatic life events, which we are going through COVID. And I know we haven't talked about it. That is a traumatic life event that has impacted on everybody. I think if we were to take one thing out of it and everyone's at a different level of it, we need to just step back and see and congratulate ourselves as parents 
how resilient we have been in dealing with it day by day. Yeah. We're not going to say, oh, Jenny, it'll be grand by next week. We have to deal in the moment. Yeah. And this is what we need to teach our children to be in the moment and to deal with what we're, they're dealing with right now. Because the other things with anxiety are the outside influences, the other things that we don't have as much control over, but that are happening. So if, you know, I get more response from my parents, if I'm throw a wobbler and I have a, a panic attack and it's all hell breaks loose, there's different things that can happen that we are able to influence that anxiety to keep continuing. So we need to stop doing that. Yeah. But we can yeah. and we can teach our child because we want, at the end of the day, I say it even when we're doing the parenting program, we are rearing our children to let them go, to be able to stand on their own two feet and to deal with whatever life is thrown at them. So to be able to cope and problem solve is a huge life skill yeah. that they need to have. And they can do it. All we need to do is teach them the steps and guide them through the steps. If they make mistakes, they're living under your roof. It's going to be nothing catastrophic and nothing is that big that can't be solved. This is my big message for all parents is that things can be sorted through yeah. and we can give our children the skills to be able to deal with it. And it's OK if it goes wrong. It's OK. But it's how we deal with it. So huge around emotional resilience, I suppose, if you go back to it, that we really need to have our children to be resilient emotionally. What about for you, Joe, then? Two things jump out at me. Spend time with your children. Have, for better term, play dates with them. Not offload them whole time to this and that activity. Spend time with them. Get down on the floor with them. Do stuff with them. Have conversations. Have quiet time in the kitchen. Leave the radio off leave the distractions, just be there, be around them, provide that safe environment, that secure, safe environment that creates a sense of security and secure attachment, which they will bring into their relationships. Not dismissal, not anxious avoidance. It's, it's about being there and providing that safe space. That's the first thing. And I think listening to your children, to what they say, and I mean really listening, spending time, they would be the two things I would say that I would like to do more with my children is just be around them, spend time with them. They need to spend time with their peers and their kids. I understand that the best memories we've ever had, I suppose, with our own parents were times when our parents spent real time with us. Yeah. They're the standout moments. We need to make more standout moments for our children with us because we have that responsibility. Mm -hmm. And when things go wrong, they would come to us. We have that relationship that's there. And hopefully we're in a position to help them. And as I say, particularly in the teenage years, there's lots of challenges and we need to be there for them because that's the time they tend to turn away from us. And then they turn back to us in their 20s, because, uh, as you know, we're kind of all fogies and we haven't a clue. And, you know, <laughs> they have figured it all out. And we were the same. And, you know, maybe sometimes they're right, but we are there for them. And uh, I suppose that's what jumps out for me. Yes. Guys, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your wisdom and knowledge and experience. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed our conversation and I look forward to your next podcast. Till then, Slán Go Foyle.